Turn to John chapter 8 this morning. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of John. And what, a, what an encouraging Gospel. We've talked about before the breakdown of the Gospels. And we won't go over all of that this morning. But ultimately, the Gospel of John presents Jesus Christ as the Lord. He's not a Lord. He is the Lord. Amen? And so that is what the Gospel of John presents Jesus as. And so we've, we've studied this out some. We're in John chapter 8. Let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God this morning as we pick back up in verse 25 through verse 32. John chapter 8, starting in verse 25. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning... I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning so grateful for the song service and uh, so grateful for the decisions made at teen camp this week. And Lord, we pray that you will encourage our hearts this morning. Lord, help me now as I preach, not to preach my own opinion, but help me to preach your word. Lord, I pray that you would encourage those that couldn't be here this morning, whether sick or traveling. Lord, I pray that you would bless them where they are. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning that you would encourage them in your book. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be better disciples for you. Lord, I pray that you would be with us now in this time. Remove all distractions, open hearts and minds to receive your word. In Christ's name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the word of God. We pick back up where we left off last study with Christ and the Pharisees still conversing. If you'll remember last week or two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus is the light of the world and what that means for us. And then last week we looked at this record where the Pharisees tried to find a contradiction in what Jesus was saying and they could not find one obviously. Remember Jesus has been trying to teach them something something very important. All the way back to chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down, and what's that word? Say it out loud together. Taught. Well, okay. All right. Let's try this again. You know I like participation. Amen. He sat down and taught them. Jesus' ministry was seasoned with teaching. Our ministry needs to be seasoned with teaching and preaching. Amen? Now, a lot of ministries are focused just on the preaching. But we need to have some teaching or we'll end up like the Corinthian church. We'll be babes in Christ with everyone thinking that what they're doing is okay. And that's not okay. 
We need to know what God wants us to do. And so we looked at that, the teaching of Jesus Christ. But He came to teach them who He is and so that they could know how He would fulfill the law. Remember up to this point, the the Pharisees of that day had added and changed the law of Moses to fit their needs, to fit their desires. And so they had created their own religion, so to speak. So Jesus came to not do away with the law, but to fulfill it. But before he could fulfill the law, he had to teach the people of Israel what the law even was because they had grown up hearing this man-made law that was given to them. So Jesus has taught now that he is the light of the world and that judgment is reserved for the Father. Remember last week we looked uh, in verse 15 of the same chapter, Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And we talked about... how people will say, see, Jesus didn't judge, you shouldn't judge either. But you've got to read the rest of the verses, amen? Look at verse 16. Yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. So ultimately we looked and we saw that Jesus will judge no flesh. God the Father will judge flesh. Jesus Christ will judge His children, His body, His bride at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's where we see the crowns are given, wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. And then that work that we have been given in 1 Corinthians 3 will be tried by fire. And what remaineth will be what we can present back to Christ. And we see that Christ, but Christ uh, doesn't judge flesh because flesh is already condemned. So we see that uh, from last week. Now we see Jesus pointing them to the one that sent him, the Father. Back to our verse, verse 25. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? Now something very interesting in this question, because we're many years into the ministry of Jesus Christ, and it seems over and over again the Pharisees ask Christ, ask Jesus who he is, and every time he gives them an answer, uh, none of which are contradictory. So in this first part, we see of the Pharisees a stubborn unbelief. A stubborn unbelief. They said unto him, Who art thou? Well, now just a few verses earlier, Jesus spake, uh, spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Jesus already told them who he was. He's the only begotten son. He is the light of the world. In chapter 14, we'll see him say that he is the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus. Jesus Christ has already established who He is, but yet the Pharisees are wanting a different answer. They don't like the answer that they've been given. We've now established this pattern with the religious leaders of this day. They refuse to accept the testimony of God the Father. Remember in the book of Matthew, we saw the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. John the Baptist uh, testified himself that this, Behold the Lamb of God, all the way back in chapter 1. Behold the Lamb of God, which cometh to take the sins of the world. Amen. Let's look at it. I don't want to misquote it. Let's look at it. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Verse 15. Rather, let's jump down to verse 29 for sake of time. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, 
Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John witnessed that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. In the same passage, uh, in the same account, uh, also in Matthew, in the same passage here in verse 32, uh, John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God, John the Baptist, witness of who Jesus Christ is. God the Father said from a voice in heaven, out of heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, at this same account in the book of Matthew. So the Pharisees now in John chapter 8 are asking this question, who art thou? Well, they've already been told who he is. They don't want to believe it. They don't trust that He is the Son of God. It's been well established at this point who Christ is. Now, here's something very interesting. I was reading uh, an article this week on where is joy found, and they had some uh, uh, different quotes from different people, and one of the people they quoted was an atheist named Voltaire. How many of you know who Voltaire is? You remember him from school? Amen. Voltaire said, uh, I wish I had never been born. I wish I had never been born. Here we have the mantra of an infidel who did not believe in Christ, who did not believe in God. Matter of fact, many of his works are written to reject or renounce Christianity and to persecute them. There's no joy found in unbelief. Many would say, why did Jesus spend such time debating the skeptics of his day? You see, these Pharisees would be skeptics. There are many people that go through this life and say, well, I'm not going to answer the skeptic because the Bible says, answer not a fool according to his folly. But then the next verse right after that says, answer a fool according to his folly. Same passage, verse right after the next one. How do we know when? Well, it's called spiritual discernment. Amen? You know when someone's asking because they want to try to catch you in a contradiction versus when someone's asking because they're searching or someone's making a statement because they just don't know. So we have to have discernment. It's even more so detrimental that Christians be close to God and followers of Him. Now this morning, I want us to look at this passage, and I want us to see something about being a disciple. Look in the verse here, John chapter 8. Look at verse uh, uh, 31. Jesus uh, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My word, then are ye My disciples Indeed. Before we can be a disciple of Jesus Christ, salvation must come first. Salvation must come first. Look at verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And He that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. Verse 30, As He spake these words, many believed on Him. Salvation must come first. Now, I want to take some time this morning and I want to address verse 28. I want to, this is kind of a side note, but it's one of those studies that's very interesting to me and I would encourage you to study it out as well. John chapter 8, verse 28. I'm going to read it again. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He 
and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Now, the Bible says, or Jesus said to the Pharisees, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know. My question then, naturally, in Bible study, is when was the Son lifted up? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to Matthew chapter 27. Amen? Keep your place here in John. Put a ribbon there. Rip a map out of the back. Whatever you want to do. Amen. I'm not, not advocating destroying your Bible, but uh, uh, you got those maps. They're there for a reason. Look at Matthew chapter 27. Amen. That was a joke just in case. I know some of you are a little, little perplexed. Amen. J- Matthew chapter 27. Look at verse 36. And sitting down, they watched him there. Now, we know what this is of. Jesus is being mocked by the soldiers. Where is Christ? He has been lifted up on the cross of Calvary. Sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, the other on the left, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Why? Because he was lifted up on the cross. You see where we're going with this? He told the Pharisees, when you see the Son of Man lifted up. Now there's a second time he's lifted up, and that's at his ascension. Amen? as he ascended into heaven. But we're not going to go, we're not, we, time will not permit for us to go. That, that, that was five pages long, amen? So uh, uh, I'm going to, we'll save that for another time this morning. But I want us to see something very interesting here. Passed by wagging their heads saying now, uh, uh, verse 41, Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Now that's verse 43 where we just ended. Now back to our point, salvation first before discipleship. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you do not know him as your personal Savior. The Bible's very clear on that. You cannot follow Christ if you're spiritually dead. We've established that before, but just in case there's any question, the Bible tells us that there's none good, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after righteousness. The best that we have to offer is filthy rags. Amen? We know that. And we must come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by trusting in Him and His death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel as defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. If you have not confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart, according to Romans chapter 10, you are not saved. And you can't possibly be His disciple. Salvation must come first. Here they were compelling Him to come down because He was lifted up. Jesus was taking the weight of the world on Himself. All the sins that were ever committed, all the sins that were being committed, all the sins that ever will be committed, the sin for the whole world, all of them were taken care of at Calvary. So if you don't trust Christ as your Savior, you're condemned already because the sin has already been dealt with. You are saying that I'm not going to accept His payment, I'm going to do it my way. Frank Sinatra ministry, amen? I did it my way. 
That's what the people that say, well, I know the Bible says this, but I think... Look, it doesn't matter what you think. Can I just be honest with you? I know this is harsh, but honestly, the world would like us to all believe that all of what we think matters, and in the end, it doesn't. When you stand before God, and He says, why should I let you in? Well, I've done some great things. Done some wonderful things in my life. I've given to the poor. I've, I've helped people. I've been charitable. And he says, but what did you do with my son? Did you accept? He covered all this for you. It's not what you do yourself. It's what you do with the son. Now, back to the passage, what, I'm trying, what I want us to see here that's interesting. They were mocking him. Notice a few verses down. Look at verse 46. Verse 46 about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Here we have one of the last phrases spoken of on the cross by Christ. Why is this significant? There are many people that would say that, well, God literally turned His back on His Son because he couldn't look on sin. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. This is where that verse comes from, or where that mentality comes from. And what I want to point out this morning is that that's wrong. God never turned his back on his son. That's unscriptural. Turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. Now, many I've even heard it preached. I've heard it preached, and, and, and good, good preachers that have... But listen, let's look at what the Bible says. Habakkuk chapter 1, look at verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? Now notice, this is the verse that we take that mentality from. Oh, well, God turned His back on the Son. Well, here's my question. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. If God can't look on iniquity, then why does the Bible say that He looks on the evil and the good? That's a contradiction. You see where we're going with this? That's a contradiction. The Bible doesn't say that God cannot look on iniquity. The context of Habakkuk here is, that he's referencing is that God should not have to look upon sin because His eyes are pure and holy. Notice the words, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil. Your eyes are pure, you should not have to behold evil. And canst not look on iniquity, wherefore lookest upon them that deal treacherously. If Habakkuk is teaching that God cannot look upon sin, then the Bible is wrong. Now, I know that just sucked the air right out of the building, amen? Because now, now, let me go ahead and just side note my side note. The Bible's not wrong. Amen? That's not what Habakkuk is teaching. He's not saying God can't look upon sin. What he's saying is God should not have to look upon sin. But then he goes on to say, in the same verse, Lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? Question mark. What's Habakkuk doing? He's perplexed. Habakkuk is perplexed because a holy God chooses to look down on unholy, unrighteous man, even though his eyes are pure. He should not have to look on iniquity, but yet he does. Why? 
Because God loves His creation. He looks upon iniquity. Now the Bible says He's angry with the wicked every day. He's angry with the wicked every day. But Habakkuk is teaching that the Lord should not have to look upon sin. So then we get back to Matthew chapter 27. We see in verse 46 the words of Christ from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then we wonder, then what does that mean? If Jesus is crying out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If God didn't forsake Christ, then Christ contradicted himself. No, he didn't. Turn to Psalm 22. Remembering the words of Christ in John, John chapter 8, when you see the Son of Man lifted up, then you'll know. Look at Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? You see, Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm. You know there's more prophecy in the book of Psalm than in most of the Bible? Amen. Most all the Bible, there's more prophecy in Psalm. It's amazing. But yet when we do prophecy studies, we look at Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation. But a lot of the prophecy in Psalm is of that shepherd that was to come. Psalm 22. So it's been said, and it was even mentioned this week, young people, if you remember... Brother Wiley mentioned it two years ago at teen camp. I don't know if you remember that or not. Psalm 22 is a picture of Calvary. Psalm 24 is a picture of Mount Zion. Psalm 23 is a picture of the grave, the valley of the shadow of death. All three prophetic psalms. Very interesting. All three about Christ. Here, Psalm 22 and verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus' cry from the cross is a fulfillment of Psalm 22. If you study out Psalm 22, uh, just continue reading throughout. Uh, uh, They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. Jesus Christ was despised. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. What did we just read in Matthew? The Pharisees, they were wagging their head, shouting, laughing, mocking at him. If you be the Son of God, save yourself. You see the cross-reference? Do you see the correlation there? Do you see the prophecy in Psalm 22? So back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now, I don't know about you. Call me a nerd, but this is fascinating to me. Amen? I'd love to find the truth of Scripture... Now, I know that when we say that God turned His back on Jesus, that that preaches good. It does. It makes for a real good sermon. That Jesus Christ came and He died and the Father turned His back on His Son for you and for me. But you see, that's just not true. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says that Jesus humbled Himself. And that although God should not have to look on iniquity, He did. He allowed the Son to be ridiculed, to be mocked. He allowed the Son to be beaten, to be laughed at, to be spit upon for you and for me. So then Jesus Christ cries out from the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which, just a little extra side note, is Aramaic. 
which is what Psalm 22 is written in. Amen? Aramaic. So when the Pharisees hear this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Instantly these religious men who knew the Bible, who knew the Old Testament, who knew the Psalms of David would be reminded of Psalm 22 and that coming Messiah. And instantly there's no more ridicule seen from the Pharisees from that point on. Because they saw the Son of Man lifted up. Back to John chapter 8. Look at verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man... Then shall ye know that I am He. Now we come to the place where we see that salvation is first. We see that after the reference of Jesus being of the Father, we have verse 30. He spake these words, as He spake these words, many believed on Him. Salvation comes first, student comes second. Salvation comes first. Jesus Christ bore the cross. He carried the shame. He was mounted on that cross and He hung on that tree. And He died. No one murdered Christ. You say, who's responsible for the life of Christ? Christ is. He gave up His own life willingly. Nobody murdered Him. No man can take the life of God. He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend my spirit. And what happened next? He bowed His head and He died. Because Christ had complete control over His own life, over His own spirit. Nobody could take His life. He gave it willingly for you and for me. And when they heard these words, that Jesus would be lifted up, all the testimony that Jesus has given from verse 12 all the way to verse 29, talking that Jesus is the Son of God, and He doeth the will of the Father, and He is the light of the world. As He spake these words, many believed on Him. They accepted Jesus as their Messiah. They accepted Jesus as the Christ. Remember, we've said before, I know I'm trying to do some refreshing here just in case there were some not here or some that may be forgotten or missed. Jesus' last name is not Christ. Christ is His title. Amen. It means anointed one. Jesus is not Jesus Christ. He's Jesus the Christ. He's the anointed one. The only one that could die for our sins. Now look what happened. After they believed, verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on Him... If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now we come to the place of learning how to be a disciple of Christ. Now we come to the place of learning. First, you have to be saved. You cannot understand spiritual things if you're spiritually dead. The Bible says that death passed upon all men because of the sin of one, Adam. Because of that, we're all going to die. And because of that sin, spiritually, when we're born, we're already dead. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, He must be born again. Because the Spirit is dead and needs to be given life, that life of the Almighty that can only be breathed by God into the life of the child that trusts in Jesus Christ as a Savior. But the interesting note here is that salvation does not automatically make you a disciple. Notice, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on Him. They already believed on Jesus Christ, right? Amen. Say amen if you see that with me this morning. They believed on Christ. He's already talking to those that believed on Him. Amen. If ye continue in my word. 
then are ye my disciples indeed. Salvation makes you a child of God, but it does not make you a disciple. I'm going to say that again. Salvation makes you a child of God. And we at Calvary Baptist Church believe the Bible teaches once saved, always saved. We believe in a thing called eternal security. You cannot lose it. You can't do enough bad. Well, what if you murder someone? Then you'll be a saved murderer and you're going to give an account to God for how you use the testimony that He gave you, but you're still saved nonetheless because the Holy Spirit was not given to you based on your merit and it's not going to be taken from you based on your merit. Amen. Amen. The Bible says you're sealed in Ephesians chapter 1. Salvation makes you a child of God, but it does not make you a discipler or a disciple. Following the Word will make you a disciple. Notice the verse. If ye continue in my Word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Here we have the famous verse 32 immediately after that. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But who knows the truth? And who's been made free by the truth? His disciples. People that follow Him. The Bible talks about those that are saved as if by fire. There are those that get saved and they do nothing for Christ with their life. They don't follow Christ. They they don't live for Christ. They still live. Uh, The Bible even says that there are those, I believe it's in James, or no, rather it's in Peter, that if you don't add unto your faith all these things, then there is a chance that you'll forget that you were purged from your sins in the first place. Why? Because you're not a disciple. Oh, you're a child of God, but you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. Oh, you're still going to go to heaven, but when you stand before Christ and give an account at that great uh, uh, judgment seat of Christ, you're going to have some wood, hay, and stubble. You're not going to have very many gold, silver, precious stones to give back to Christ. You see, our goal here at Calvary is not just to see people saved. That's a good thing. Amen? That's the first step. But our goal is to see people saved become disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. Look, can I just share something? Can I be honest with you? Miss Barbara, we were sharing this morning, we had uh, 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 either four or five saved around team camp throughout this past week. And what a blessing. Amen? And she was excited and she said, well, I was praying and she said, I know I shouldn't be results-oriented, but that helps. Amen? It does help. It kind of validates what you're doing sometimes. Uh, uh, But you see, that's human nature to want to see results from what we're doing. When we start to focus too much on the results, though, then what we'll do is we'll change this in order to try to get more people here because we think we're having more of an effect, but then we're doing the same thing the Pharisees are doing. We've changed the Word of God and making it of none effect. You see, our goal isn't just to see as many people saved as possible, although we are not called to save people, we are called to witness to them. Amen. Amen. You can't save anybody. You can witness to them all you want, you can't save them. You're supposed to be faithful in witness. But after salvation, do you know what our goal is? To see them discipled. You know what that word disciple means? Follower. You know what we want to produce? Followers of Jesus. Young people here this morning saying it, and I always say that tongue-in-cheek because since Aaron's here, we've been singing with them, and it makes me feel good to say the young people are singing and I get to sing with them. Amen? So that just, it helps me. It helps me. Amen? That's just where I'm at. We sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. 
And it's interesting how this week's messages, and if you come back tonight at 6 o'clock, you'll see some of the teen camp stuff we get to do, and, and you'll get to see some of, and hear some of the, uh, uh, just I'm going to try and do a brief outline of, of eight messages that were preached, amen. So don't let that stop you from coming tonight, amen. I promise it won't be long. But I, I, I want to reiterate, but this week it's always, it, the, the theme of teen camp was whatever. And it was kind of a play on words because you know what teenagers do, they say, ah, whatever. That's kind of the mentality of teenagers, but... We didn't want them to have the ah, whatever attitude. We wanted them to have the whatever you want, Lord. Wherever you want me to go, whoever you want me to be, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. You know what that's called? Being a disciple. Following Christ. First, you have to be saved. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you cannot be His disciple. You must get saved. But then after that, after salvation... You need to determine that you're going to follow after Christ. You're going to determine, hey, listen, here's the problem. Lots of people have the problems that they have uh, with Christianity in today's generation. It's not just in the United States. It's all over the world. And here's what they'll say. Well, we've got Christians who don't mean business. We've got Christians who aren't faithful to give. We've got Christians who aren't faithful to church. We've got Christians who won't go on short-term missions. No label all of these things. Do you know what the problem really is? We've got a bunch of saved people who haven't become disciples. Got a lot of saved people who haven't decided that I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. That I'm going to serve Christ no matter what. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. Yes, it's going to go against what I want to do as a human being. But I want to stand before God and hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, more than I want to have what I want in this life that's going to burn. Amen. We need some Christians that will stand. The word here that I want to emphasize for us in verse 31, and we're almost done, is this word indeed. Indeed is an adverb. It's used meaning truth or fact. It usually gives emphasis. That's why you hear in the book of Acts, widows indeed. What does that mean? Well, they're a widow who can't have kids and who are too old to remarry. That's a widow indeed. Someone that has no family to help take care of them. That's a widow indeed. A widow in fact, a widow of truth. There's no way for anybody, so it's the church's responsibility to take care of that widow. Now, if a widow has family, amen, that's what's being taught in Acts. If they have family that can take care of them, we're talking about financially, amen, we're talking about food and clothes and a place to live. That's what we're talking about. Then it's not the church's responsibility to pay for all of their stuff, but it is the church's responsibility to still be a moral, uh, or rather a, a spiritual encouragement to help uplift and to be there for those widows, amen. That's why the deacons were instituted in the first place, so the pastor could be given to study while the deacons did the work of the ministry, allowing the pastor to be in the book. Amen. That's just a lesson, Deacon 101. Amen. And our deacons know that, and they're on board. They, we, we've been over this before. Amen. Before I ever became the pastor here, it was already being done that way. So, uh, 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 so I want us to see, you see that word, indeed. And here we have, then are ye my disciples, indeed of a truth, of a fact. You're my disciple. How? If you continue in my word. If we desire to know the truth, we need to, in the truth, be disciples for Christ. So here's the question. First and foremost, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, then I challenge you to do that today. Don't let another day... Listen, you're not promised tomorrow. Salvation. The decision is made today. Hey, and can I share something with you? I've said it once. I've said it a hundred times. A wait is still a no. 
well, I'm not going to do it right now, but I'll do it at a later date. When I feel more comfortable, I'll do it. A wait is still a no. A wait is still a rejection of Jesus Christ. When you die and stand before Christ, you stand before God, and He says, did you accept my son? You say, well, God, I just needed more time. I said that I would later. It's too late. A wait is still a no. Still a rejection. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. Christians, have you decided to follow Christ? Do you have a true desire to be His disciple? Not just someone that says, well, I go to church and I give, and I, I give to missions, I give to tithe, and, and I volunteer and I'm there. No, no, no. That's not what makes you a disciple indeed. Notice, if you continue in my word, how much time do you spend with Christ on a daily basis? How much are you in His word? How much do you desire to learn about Christ? Do you truly desire to follow Him? Many years, this noted historian Thomas Reeves was a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Parkside. And he wrote, Christianity in modern America is in large part innocuous. It tends to be easy, upbeat, convenient, and compatible. It does not require self-sacrifice, discipline, humility, or otherworldly outlook. A zeal for souls is a fear as well as love of God. God did not save us solely so that we could go to heaven. That's not the purpose of salvation. He calls and commands us to have an impact here on earth as well. And when we trade the shame of the cross for the plaudits and acceptance of men, we have forfeited the power of God to shake the world. Far better to be despised and even persecuted than to live a life without making a difference for God. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed.